Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Scott Van Voorst, founder of Contrarian Boston. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, we discuss why Scott started Contrarian Boston, the need for quality local journalism, and then we chat about stories relevant to the local real estate and construction marketplace, such as BBDA approvals, permits, zoning, MBTA, and more. Today's show is brought to you by Central, commercial carpenters, and supporters of our conversations. Enjoy the show. Hey, Scott. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thanks for having me. Yep. This is exciting. Uh, this is, hopefully, if all goes well, this will be one of many conversations we'll have Excellent. about the reporting you're, you're doing. I was thrilled to come across your Substack. Um, I knew you from mostly the Herald days, but then even some of the banker and tradesman days when I used to actually get the physical small newspaper. And um, so I was excited. I I really think there is a lack of good local journalism that's not just kind of regurgitating the same thing. Someone that's willing to dig in on interesting stories. And, you know, I feel like you do a great job of that. You you have a couple of other folks working with you as well. But why don't you tell people, what are you doing at the Contrarian Boston? Who else is with you? What's kind of the goal of it? And maybe even where you kind of hope it it goes. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for having me on, Joe. It's it's been great. And this is a, uh, you have a great podcast. And it's uh, definitely reaching readers and uh, viewers and uh, people that I at Contrarian Boston is looking to reach. My own background, quickly, I uh, started off in uh, journalism about 30 years ago, working at local newspapers and Eagle Tribune, and and then moved into uh, Haverhill Gazette, and then moved into business journalism in Boston, worked at the Boston Business Journal for a couple years, worked at the Herald as a business reporter uh, for about a decade, and Mm. That was always fun. We covered uh, business for the Herald, meant covering casinos and 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 what was going on at the racetracks and development and 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 uh, everything else in local politics, state politics. And then um, about a, a decade ago, I went out on my own, uh, freelance for the Globe, did a blog for them on real estate, uh, worked for Engineering News Record, did a bunch of other things, and then um, a couple years ago, I'd been thinking about it a long time. Uh, Seeing the decline in local news is something I've always loved to do, loved to report, loved to follow things. Seeing the void, uh, seeing that their technology was there with the Substack platform to actually start your own newsletter letter fairly easily, uh, decided to dive in myself with Contrarian Boston, played around with some ideas, and really came up with why don't I play to my own strengths of covering local politics, state politics, housing, development, construction, uh, anything, you know, related to, you know, government accountability, uh, you know, different commissions overseeing parts, different industries, whether it's gambling or the new pot industry. And so, but with a a voice that would be uh, different from what you see in the Globe or different from seeing the Herald, like not feeling beholden to any particular, you know, political, you know, agenda or... Uh, ideology and not afraid to just call things as they are. So that's 
it started off a couple years ago, went paid with it uh, this uh, past March. So really have two newsletters now, the the free newsletter, which reaches, you know, 6,100 subscribers, and then several hundred people now who've signed up for, you know, paid, which is more, you know, more content and, uh, and more in-depth. And just looking to grow that and continue that of uh, working with other people that I worked with over the years in journalism that, that now doing some stories for me and that's been exciting to be working with them again and looking just to build upon that get more subscribers get it out farther you know build it up a little you know help fill that niche uh, that's just this fill that void in local mm. news I think what I it's funny the, the term that you or the freight the title contrarian Boston I think you alluded to it a little bit there where I like that it's just kind of naturally I like people that are not landing in one camp or the other. And if you go to the Globe, you have to sing one tune. If you're at the Herald, you have to sing a different tune. And I think reporting should be not having to sing any tune, like just dig in. Sometimes it's, you know, uncomfortable for the administration that's in place. Sometimes it's... Uh, supportive of the administration in place, whatever that is, state and local, whatever, right? Just report what's interesting and give people that information. And I, I think Contrarian Boston does it. I think, was that kind of what you were thinking about a little bit when you used that for the... Yes. I mean, it. It. it contrarian in the sense of so much of Boston, so much of kind of uh, politics in Boston and the state, it's an insider game. And mm-hmm. so, and the media plays into that. They especially, you know, get the larger organizations, they feel like they get fed stories and in return, maybe they kind of follow that spin and maybe they just believe that. But I've always felt that that was doing a disservice to to readers because you're not necessarily saying what's really going on or giving a full picture of that. And so this, we have the freedom to be a little contrary. I'm like, well, that's not... Uh, example: The Globe's done a spotlight series on housing, and we took a critical look at one of the one of the installments that seemed to suggest that by building some of these luxury, you know, condo high rises, that that was part of the housing crisis, which made no sense at all. Like, why mm. it has nothing? You know, you're not going building a tower over South Station um, isn't you know stopping other developers from building middle income housing and. And maybe it would actually help if it, you know, meets demand for at the very high end. So we're willing to just look at things and try to and not feel like we're beholden to different uh, kind of preconceived ideas or or different agendas. And uh, and uh, and you know, if it comes out anything, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But and kind of just wary about you know the extremes. I guess yeah, that just are out there. Just not forced to fall in line with any one particular yeah. thing. You know. Yeah, and that's great. That's what I love about it. I kind of feel that way in life. Uh, you know, there's sure. some really good quotes out there in line. They're like, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're probably doing it wrong. Right. right? And Or even from the, I think it's a, isn't it from journalism where they're like, the job of the journalist is to, what do they say, like, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable kind of? Yes. <laughs> Is that from journalism? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a famous saying. Yeah, the mm. flick the, I think it's like uh, flick Com- the comfortable and, and comfort the afflicted. And, mm. and So, yeah, you're not supposed to just fall into the – I mean, I think what makes for boring journalism is falling into the predictable patterns of 
singing whatever song uh, uh, the people who are, you know, uh, your check. <laughs> yeah, in you know, in, the insiders in you know state politics would like to see, um, and that could be that can vary, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, but insiders meaning you know control the legislature or administration or city hall. Things don't always go as they would like them to go, and it's important to say, you know, if housing's not getting built, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So a few, stay, going right with good timing there, Scott, which is a few months back, you reported on BPDA approvals being down year over year and permitting being down year over year. You know, what were you seeing and kind of have you seen any changes since you reported that? I want to say back in maybe September or something like that. I think you reported it. Yes. I mean, at the... Um did um, we first kind of got onto it at the beginning of the year, and uh, contrary in Boston started writing about it, that there was a big drop off in two things. One was projects being approved by the BPDA, and that means you know big projects, mid mid-sized projects. That doesn't mean they're ready to go, but at least they went through you know got, they were proposed, went through the review process, and could move forward at some place. And the second thing was actually projects that actually were starting construction big drop off there and that really has continued and maybe uh, throughout the through the year right into uh as we you know speak into october november there has been some construction but it's mainly public housing um there's been a big drop off in you know private sector development including you know developments that would include some affordable units mm-hmm. uh so the only thing that's really kind of keeping those numbers up are two things. One is there have been some public housing uh, kind of redevelopments in Charlestown, I think in JJP. Jamaica Plain is a really big one, yeah. So that's good, but that's really tied to like government money, and that doesn't get to speak to the market. And the second thing is Harvard broke ground on their science um, campus, and that's great, but that's really like Harvard is like a governmental, a quasi-governmental <laughs> like, entity with – Billions and billions of dollars, and they're they can do things counter to the market. Hmm. But developers who are depending upon you know private financing and to really build the and really have to build if we're going to get out of the housing crisis, the majority of housing they're really hurting right now from a combination of things. May and feeling maybe in Boston under pressure more than the other in maybe other jurisdictions from new requirements and. Uh, on a whole range of fronts and maybe and maybe exacerbating what's happening now. Mm. Yeah. And then we were chatting earlier and you were mentioning that you did see some, a little bit of an uptick um, since then in BT, um, BT, BPA, BPDA approvals, right? Where they're starting to let yeah. some more through. Yes. Yeah, so there were, so one thing that has gone up a bit has been the approvals as opposed to the building Permits. So approvals from the agency uh, have ticked up again. Um, and that makes sense. Developers, if you've got something in the pipeline, you're probably going to want to get it at least through the BPDA. Then you can decide, is this time to try to break ground? Or even if you want to break ground, can I get the financing? That's the second question. So that had gone up and it had really dropped off last year. And it wasn't clear what was going on. Um, it could be tied to turmoil in the agency because the Wu administration has 
targeted the BPDA as an agency that wants to really, if not totally uh, eradicate at this point, uh, you really ch- uh, change and transfer into away from being an independent agency to a city agency. So that has picked up. I don't know. So it could be that there's, you know, things have stabilized there for for the moment. And it it means also people do believe in Boston in the long term. They really do want to build things here. The question is, can they, you know, can they afford to do that right now? And the the barriers to doing that right now seem to be higher than they were in the past. Yeah, a few things there. So for people that aren't clear, the the Boston Planning and Development Authority it used to be the BRA, now it's the yes. BPDA. And they are the group that when you either have small project or large project review, large project being over 50,000 square feet, you go to them and you have to get their approval first. And that is not, once you're through that, that's not an issuance of a permit. That is just approval from that development agency that oversees Boston. And then the actual permit is now you've filed a permit. But even if you get a permit, it doesn't mean we're putting a shovel in the ground, right? A, a lot That's of true. a lot of folks, um, and there was one gentleman I was speaking with a few months back who has a project going through the process now, a fairly large one. And he's like, well, we're, yeah, we're, we're going through the process. We're working through it right now. He's like, but, you know, we're 50% off of where we need to be. Like, this isn't, this is not going anytime soon. We're not even close to making the making this thing go so it uh, that's where like there's a lot of nuance in the bpda piece right which is it's subjective to some degree so if the bpda decides hey let's get a little more flow going through here they could start to approve more projects if they like or they if they want to restrict some things they could restrict some things so that's they could take the gas off I mean, yes. they put off the pedal whatever the right phrase is there or put it on the pedal to slow things down so there's that variability there. And then there's just because things are getting through there doesn't mean that they translate to right. c- construction. Right. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go in there. And they might, from a zoning perspective, do okay. But if they have building code issues, they might not be able to move forward because of a building code issue. And they might have to go to the, uh, let's say, sometimes we, we see out there that um, fire department access in the city is an issue. Right, so BPDA says, yeah, that you have a real small lot, but we're okay. You do no parking and yes. put it on a postage stamp, and it's down a little alley or something like that. And fire department does their review and say, no, there's not a 20 foot access. We can't fit a truck. We can't get down there, and and that kills it. So it, it doesn't. There are even... other agencies after that that you have to that may pop up, or you have to clear. And uh, so, yeah, it, it could be months. Even in good times, it could be months before you break ground. In bad times, it could be some projects never break ground. Some projects take months or even years after that. Yeah. So BBDA is a step in the process. Yes. There could be other regulatory issues that stop you, or there could be financial issues that stop you, right? Meaning that the deal doesn't pencil out. And I think mayors like in general, like to see big announcements in the BPDA because it suggests lots of things are happening. You know, Mm -hmm. we just approved, I don't know, 500,000 new feet of construction, this. Or however many units. You have to read between the lines. Well, is that actually happening right now and and anytime soon? But it provides them with a steady flow of, you know, good good news, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it's actually happening right away. And that's where the... Yeah, it comes in. That's where 
we've tried to come in and look at you know what's actually happening and what does that mean I, that's like built. one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast because people will say something you know and i'll say well what does that mean right you know okay you can say this but what's the end result of that right. or what is that you know it doesn't matter if it doesn't get built it's just another plant right i mean yeah you know and the in the flip side is that it is the first step so what yes. your original reporting was bpda and Building permits were down year over year in September. You said the BPDA has since yeah put started. on the gas a little more with their flow of plans. Right. Um, so but there's still a kind of a bottleneck in terms of actually breaking ground. Yeah, but it is important because if there yes. if you're not even approved, if you're not getting past one, then there's that's well, a major red there. flag, that's true. right? Because you then, want a, you want the agency functioning and approving things. Yeah. And uh, and that was a real issue because the the Wu administration has talked about and Mayor Wu has made it a big priority to you know has talked about abolishing the agency. She's kind of gone back and forth on that. Whether she's what does that actually mean? Is it really going to be just disappear? It doesn't seem like it's just going to disappear. Hmm. It's being reinvented or reined in in her view. But that still has. Probably created a lot, certainly created a lot of internal turmoil at the agency, a lot of discontent, and a lot of people have left, new people have come in. And as you're saying, it's a key, you can't do anything in Boston with a major project, you have to get it through the BPDX. So. Yeah. yeah, so it's, a, it's certainly a net positive. It's a yeah. Yeah, it's a net positive. If we see those numbers up, That's good. It's, it's a good sign. It's a positive thing. That they're doing their job. Of, yep. Yeah. Yep, we're getting, we're getting the projects approved, which we all hope. And, and frankly, it goes back to your critique of the that one part of the Globes series, which is more units is more units. And if right. there's that luxury stuff that the luxury buyer can purchase and move into, that means that they're not buying a middle income one because there's nothing else in the market and say, well, I'll buy this one and just trick it out the way I want it. And now you're taking, you end up by not having the luxury available, you end up putting a strain on that middle or upper middle class housing. So there's just that, there's just the net positive by putting more units in the in, in the pipeline. And, and, I, and I agree that that is, uh, and I think there's um, more people, you know, a more vocal segment of the community out there that says, look, we just need more housing. And we don't need to get bogged down fighting over, you know, uh, this is a bad type of housing. Let's not build this and only build that. But there's a counter push, which I would say you can see more. And currently, maybe the administration, maybe some progressives that are saying, well, look, we only we want more housing, but we need we just need to focus on the type of housing that's affordable that's not out there, middle-income housing, and maybe even it could be progress if we if we don't have these luxury units because that's maybe a sign of inequality or or it's it's taking up resources. Um, and I think I've known talking to housing advocates that not everybody's on board. Of, there's real concerns that, um, as you're saying, you know, these this housing is affordable, even if it's not affordable to most of us. Like, no, that's a good point. Thirty yeah. million dollar penthouse. I'm not going to be buying that anytime soon. Yeah, it's affordable to somebody, and 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 there is some speculation. And the gold piece did get into that, and that that was interesting. You know, you get some people maybe just buying it for investment purposes. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, people in China, you know, it's a it's a tumultuous situation there. Might be looking at if I ever have to leave the country, at least I have some investments in the U.S. and、mm-hmm. this is a good spot to do it. But you're not gonna either. I mean, it's really a question not a like building a Rosal Station or building that one Dalton project at Prudential Center. It's not a question of oh, we could have built middle income housing there. No, the only thing you're gonna build there is. I, uh, it's so expensive to build. It's going to be luxury condos, labs, labs, or office. So、yeah. it it's you. What it would be the victory of like stopping something and not having anything built there, and then you lose the jobs. Second part of it is tax revenue. This is which communities always love, and you know, and, and there are issues with that too. Just saying, we just want development that's not going to have any children. And, But in this case, this could actually be a good thing. Has been a good thing for Boston. It、mm. produces revenue,、um, creates jobs, and doesn't tax the local services.、Uh, that you could have more money to build other types of housing. Yeah, no, you're, you're right because the square foot costs when you figure land and cost of construction. There's there is no way to build that currently in downtown Boston and be able to. Create middle or whatever the term, whatever affordable really means, right? Workforce housing, Work, like that's middle income, low income housing. Yeah, yeah, you would have to sell it for less than it costs to even build it, right? So that that's not doable. So what are the options? Like you said, it's lab, it's high end residential, or whatever the economy, whatever the market. Dictates will pay is willing to pay that amount, and then to your point, which is who's building these buildings? They are middle class families in Massachusetts, so it's producing jobs, and as you said, it's producing tax revenue. So there's that, or there's nothing. It it that's a I I agree. I mean, that's a it seems like it, people in the business now, or or on people in the industry, and who are、mm-hmm. following this understand the numbers, and and I think people you know in the city. You know, people city involved in city permitting have done this for a while. Understand that that's the dynamic. I mean, let's say, okay, well, you wanted to build middle income or low income housing there. It would cost probably hundreds of millions of dollars in public money to do that. And would that be even a good,、uh, you know, expenditure of that? You're not getting lots of bang for your buck there, as opposed、mm-hmm. to trying to encourage、uh, more affordable housing in the neighborhoods. In other areas where costs, where the costs are still high,、yeah. but at least in the range of reasonable, it seems to be maybe just like a、uh, sort of a it's not an ideological argument, but maybe it's sort of like we don't these are bad because they display wealth, and that's not good. Be, but yeah, the well, wealth is there, and it's just it's a reflection of what's. I mean, people, wealthy people, in building. You know, are living in very luxurious spaces forever, right?、Yeah. I mean, you had the mansions in Newport. I mean,、yep. yeah, and that's now really, they're like a tourist attraction, right? So, yeah, and you were saying ideological, but I would say that's almost more of like a moral argument at that、right. point. And like, are we going to get into the morality of what home someone's buying? Like, I don't. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's, that's not public、yeah. policy. I don't think. I don't. If, right. If, yeah. Right? I mean that that you're that right. That's it's. And it doesn't,、um, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot、yeah. of sense. Now, where I think there is room to debate certain projects,、um, and you 
you know, you could look at Seaport, you could look at, as you were saying, one Dalton or whatever, and say like, okay, if you want to critique it from an urban planning standpoint, sure, and say, you know, what's the effect that this monstrosity? Hey Daisy, Daisy uh, <laughs> taking a nap and growling. Um, you know, it's, it's a good part of having a casual. Uh, a lot of the listeners will be aware of Daisy the dog, so oh. it's don't uh, no big deal. You know, from an urban planning standpoint, if you want to look at it and say like, what's the impact of all these high rises in a dense area and green space and vehicles and all those other things. I, sure. I think great. Look at it and debate it and, and, and consider it. But, you know, just to say, because it's selling units to rich people, that is a bad thing. I, you know, I tend to, I tend to disagree with that mindset. And, you know, there's a group that I like to follow, uh, strong towns, I don't know if you've ever heard of yeah. them. Yeah. And they're great. Like, I like them similar to Contrarian Boston, which is they will hold completely different viewpoints. You could read one thing from them. And I, and I feel this, this way with you, you know, in some of the discussions we've had and some of the things I read where you could read one thing and if you were just trying to figure out about them, you read one article and you'd be like, oh, these are just left-wing bike nuts, right? You know? Sure. And then you know you read something else and you're like whoa hang on these are like hardcore you know capitalists right. and, they're, they're, and they they talk about installation of road and what is the return on investment of a road that you put in so what you spend on sewer and grading and infrastructure and paving and maintenance and plowing and whatever what's that cost and then the properties you're building on that street what do they return and it's very eye-opening. And most people that are urban planners never look at that. That's really interesting. Right? Yeah, and they don't, right? And it's an important aspect of uh, trying to run a city. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to install all this infrastructure. And we insta we're installing it and it's just going to be a net negative on the, the, sure. the municipality. And, you know, you have a place like Boston and people don't really think about that because there's just all this money flowing around to take care of it. But you go to a smaller community where... They're saying, okay, we can't build a firehouse because we have too much debt and, yeah. you know, we can't, we're having to lay off teachers. We don't have any money and, but the public works department is our budget is, you know, maybe it's three times we should have been like, so that really matters. And I, and I love strong towns because of that, because they'll just have so many different voices that sure. just look at things kind of like you look at them like, okay, well, I don't want to look at it from this angle or from that right. angle, let's look at it as it is and see where it, it where it leads us. So I don't want it to be like, I'm just opposed to looking at projects and that we should just blindly approve yeah. everything because it's good for construction and produces more jobs. Just go crazy. No, don't go crazy. Go ahead right. and look at it. But I think where we do agree is like, we can't just make this a moral judgment where like, no, we only want housing for certain types of people and other housing is bad. And, you right. know, then I think we get, if we get, this is good housing, that's bad housing. I think that's problematic, especially sure. when we're throwing out, and I'm sorry, the last piece that I was kind of important there yes. is when we throw out the math of things, which is, this is how much it costs to build here. Right. So that cost determines 
what can go there. So it's, do we want that or do we want nothing? And you can have that debate, but the, it can't be, we can have that or why don't we just make it affordable? Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. You know, you can't spend $550 a feet, foot to build something and then say, oh, let's make it affordable because that's not affordable. And for Boston, it's uh, new development has been a big benefit for the city budget. Uh, providing lots of money for different programs and initiatives. And uh, arguably, um, some of these new towers, whether you like them or not, or, you know, and they do undergo pretty intensive debates and and reviews and architectural reviews. They are providing money that's going to be maybe even needed more, uh, even more so in the coming years because the office market is in trouble right now. Mm And the valuations of the office buildings are going down. Sales of building buildings are selling for a lot less than they were before. It's more likely, <clears throat> excuse me, it's more likely um, that the residential towers are going to hold their value over the next few years, continue to produce uh, that revenue, mm. even as office buildings are. Uh, some of them are going to are really going to decline in value and decline in the amount of money they're returning to the city, and that could cause a big, uh, you know. I, these things are usually delayed, right? The market mm-hmm. happens. Things happen in the market, and it takes two or three years to work down to the level of the building gets devalued. The tax revenue starts to go down, mm-hmm. but it's pretty predictable. It, you're going to see a hit in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. and that's going to cause some potentially some budgetary problems where we didn't, you know, that the city hasn't had to face, or other cities across the state really too have depended on this revenue. Hmm. Are you starting to see? actual numbers on commercial office that is showing that it's going down. Like I'll see a headline here or there that yes. this, this sold for less than it was right. purchased well, for, but is there, is there good data out there yet? That's kind of pointing to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a little early, but uh, some of the older buildings, class B buildings are definitely are selling for a lot less. Now, hmm. a couple of cases, West street, a West street building, uh, downtown it sold for like a fourth of what it recently sold for like a fourth of what it sold for a few years ago, mm. like for 4 million and it was sold for 16 million a few years ago. So it's been, it's starting to see a spate of those. Um, the newer office buildings may hold their value better. Um, but there's a lot of those class B buildings and they pay a lot of, and that's going to impact how much, I mean, certainly, uh, the owner of that building is not going to want to be paying taxes based on a sixteen million dollar valuation when he paid four million. So yeah, something's going to go down there. There always for the last several years has been growth in new tax revenue because new development has come on at a certain pace. When that starts to slow down, it gets a lot harder to you know pay pay increases to the police to the firefighters mm-hmm. to do different initiatives. Um, there's a lot of Recovery Act money that came under from the Biden administration's uh, initiatives and earlier uh, that that is projected a lot of money into uh, local schools, into local city governments, and that's pretty much gone now. So mm-hmm. I think people who are following it uh, on the development side, the city policy side, see some see kind of a drop off coming and are concerned. And so you definitely at that point new revenue and and projects that are producing that are going to be pretty important. Important. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 
Now, do you think you alluded to it a little bit? Do you think they will actually like there's this talk around dismantling the BPDA, and then you know I'll hear things. I'm very uneducated in this, but it has to do with how like it was legally set up, whether they even have the authority to dismantle that. Like, How familiar are you with that process? Yeah, it's a complicated uh, debate and process. And it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, the agency itself is a, uh, it's kind of a quasi governmental agency. It has a, I think it has a state charter. Um, It's, you know, over the decades, um, enacted all sorts of plans that uh, uh, with uh, different provisions that uh, you know are based on its authority. And unwinding it, um, I think, is a lot more complicated than maybe has been suggested. Uh, and uh, you know, with a little background: the ma- the mayor, when she was a city councilor, you know, felt very strongly and has argued very strongly that. The agency needed to really to be, I mean, she used the word abolished, that it was, uh, you know, I mean, she had painted it as kind of a rogue agency, you know, hearkening back to what happened in the West End that mm. got demolished back in the late 50s and um, early 60s. And and uh, now that she's mayor, she has only made that, made that a, uh, a top priority. Um, but I think actually doing that and and implementing that is is complicated and it's um i think we've heard less of the abolishing talk and now more that it's going to be a city agency and transitioning to that and splitting the planning having a planning department and splitting the that from the development functions um my question has always been how are you going to do this is this really worth the 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 disruption it potentially causes of, you know, taking your key permitting agency and kind of causing all this upheaval and for what gain your uh, mayors have always controlled the BPDA, uh, even though it has this kind of state basis, uh, they appoint the the board members and, and it's almost to a comical extent have controlled decisions there. Like uh, I've heard stories of past mayors that, you know, they'll look over the agenda and last minute they say, I don't want this on, you know, for terms of board agenda. They mm. just, you know, they're, they're scrambling to change things around. Mm. So the idea that it was this rogue agency going out there leveling neighborhoods without mayoral approval, I mean, who has the same authority over it that Menino had, that Walsh had? Uh, it's, 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 it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So mm. dismantling it. I think it pleases a lot of people. It really has been kind of a boogeyman in terms of neighborhood activists and being angry about, you know, development and things happening and feeling like this was the place, you know, this is the bad guy in the neighborhood doing things. But ultimately it's the mayor who calls the shots and, and, uh, and what, and just going through this long process of unwinding the agency, it just seems odd or questionable what it actually, that's going to gain anybody. Hmm. And didn't um, they appoint the director as well, right? They appointed the director in the Menino years. I mean, you know, anything Menino said, the director would basically, even if it made no sense at all, 
you know, uh, Menino may wanted, you know, project wasn't going well. And Menino was very focused on having pro- new projects. But if the Menino said it was actually happening, the mayor, the director would say, yes, it's happening. It's going to break ground, even though there was a hole in the ground. So there really hasn't been any great independence there over the years. It's really been a creature, you know, if not a creature of the mayor, certainly the the board has never done rarely does things to buck the mayor mm-hmm. and so if you if you feel like it's doing making rogue decisions or bad decisions and you're a mayor then you can stop that pretty mm-hmm. easily you mm-hmm. know yeah you know a snap of your fingers pretty much i mean it should be yeah you don't need to go and reinvent it and you know knock it down and rehire and in the process maybe you know stymie the development process interesting Okay. Yeah, because I you, you kind of get that feeling like of this seems like a overwhelming task, um, and it's a great question like to what end, and to your point like if it's an extension of your office then what's the, what's the problem right like you can control it so yeah. I mean I think there's some people that just really uh, I mean they just have look at the agency and it's become a symbol for things that they don't like that have happened in terms of development and they just want it and they've spent years thinking that you know getting rid of it will really make things more fair or equitable uh you know i think the argument's made why can we just be like any other city you know or any other town with a planning board the problem with that argument is that um housing con- development in massachusetts has been pretty dysfunctional under many of these local communities and uh it's been you know very hard to get things built so you could argue that boston has been able to actually build things and get housing built because it has had a a, you know an agency like the bpda it's dedicated that's dedicated to that and by and why would you want to go to a system that really has been you know, led to a housing crisis, not enough getting built. And would how's that not going to happen here potentially if you start going down that road? Mm. Yeah. So with all its flaws, it's still producing housing. You might you may quabble or quarrel about which project or an oddball here or there that you don't like, but at the end of the day, it's churning out units of housing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's. Um, it, it it seems like an an emotional argument and and it is emotional argument for a lot of people. I mean, and it was, and look, I mean that that was a disaster that they tore down the West End years ago. Absolutely. I mean, they were dealing with different dynamics, right? They were looking at a city that was really depressed and and uh, you know the late fifties really was not the Boston of today. It was like this. Uh, people looking at it like this is a dead city. It needs like you know shock. You know, basic lecture. Shock, uh, shock treatment. You need something dramatic to kind of turn things around. Mm. But when we look at, you know, a lot of that housing might have been redeveloped or, or, or fixed, you know, or, and at the very least it was providing homes for people that were affordable, right? I mean, and it, so it was a really a disaster. But that lesson got learned pretty quickly. I mean, mm. or not pretty quickly, but over the next decade, there was a real, in for a good, you know, there was really good pushback, right? I mean, a pushback against, more, I mean, you know, plans to do similar things to the Back Bay, which would have been a disaster. So yeah, there was effective pushback, pushback against plans for more highways that would have been kind of a mess. So it feels like we're f- 
the, I think the, the agency certainly developed and evolved over the years. Mayors learned learned that, that you know realized that this was not the way to go, and and you know began to do more thoughtful development. But it it seems like the people that don't like the agency maybe are you know kind of hearkening back to that or in a time warp where it's a different set of circumstances than we are in today and different period. Uh, have you by any chance listened to the Big Dig podcast that WGBH I've did? I've caught a little bit of it. It, it sounds, I'm hearing some really rave reviews of it's it. It's great. But it's really interesting. It's very interesting. It gets into the the effect that the West End had on certain people in the community and how... Um, I'm escape. This is the name has escaped me of the gentleman that his grandmother lost her house in the West End, and then he became a big proponent to fight the extension that was going to go where like Melnia Cass is and where they Southwest Corridor. Yeah, 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 the Southwest Corridor. He became the champion to bury that thing, and he did, and then ended up becoming the proponent of the big dig. So he went from this local hero to like you know, save neighborhoods from a highway sure. to being a proponent of a highway. And like, you would really like it. And it also, it brings about back up all these names that you kind of forgot about sure. over the years, you know, like uh, Christy Myhos and oh, Jordan yes. Levy and um, who was interesting. Yeah. That little wild <laughs> dynamic. And then who were the different like heads of the dig Oh my God! Then Carasiotis was one Carisiotis, of the, yeah, yes. like Carasiotis. All these names that you heard over the years, and you're like, wow! And just like the schemes that they were thinking about yes. doing for the dig, and how basically journalism and like public outcry like determined which way that the highway was going to go and what scheme they went with. And that's it, fascinating. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's so well done. It's really well done. And uh, I actually listened to it with my son, and he loves it. He's eight, but even he listens that's to it. Great. It's kind of like exciting wow. to hear, like, yeah. well, what's going to happen? And like the conflict with the governor and the board. And, and it kind of some similarities with the, the BPDA, right? It's sure. a, what's the word for it? It is a uh, independent authority, right? Is, is it? Right. Technically, an independent authority. Yeah, it's a quasi uh, a public authority. Yep. I mean, it's 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 independent in the sense that uh, I think it's it, on paper anyway. I mean, I think it really has functioned for many years as as essentially a city agency with some you know statutorial independence, but. Mm. Yeah, and it's, sorry, I'm going off on on a tangent here, but it, it's funny how much of a tie to. Like you hear in that podcast, you hear so much journalism going on and how much the reporting and leaking of information and stuff really affected how this highway system got built in like uh, neighborhood activism and journalism and government and quasi-public agencies and who had power and what, and it just... It's a fascinating thing, fascinating story around a fascinating project. And I think you, as someone who's doing what you're doing, like it's a good representation when you say this is missing in the marketplace, right. this type of journalism. 
listen to the Big Dig podcast that's yes. done and you will see why this journalism is needed because people just wanted to do things. People in power wanted to do things right. without anybody knowing about them. But it was journalists that uncovered them and brought them to light and got the public to be able to say, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, no, I, you can't do that's that. A really you good, know? And that's a really good point because I definitely would not argue that at all that an agency like the BPDA doesn't need uh, really careful scrutiny. It does, right? Mm. Uh, I think the question is whether you have the agency or not, and that's that's another question, right? Mm. But, yeah, I mean, uh, when you start having decisions made in, behind closed doors, now that gets to be problematic, and you can have, you know, things that uh, start to uh, gain momentum that uh, really aren't good ideas, that mm. uh, for whatever dynamic that's going on behind closed doors. I covered the tail end of the big dig when I was at the, uh, the Herald, in particular, would be doing stories on, uh, unfortunately, on you know what happened with Mon and Continental, and uh, mm. this Les Marino had the head, and then eventually died of stomach cancer. It was kind of sad, but yeah. it it was it was interesting that you know the for the contractors are involved, and well, you know the pressures they were under, and um, and and um, with that, I mean that the, the uh, yeah, it was a really um, it was a hugely important project. And it probably um, left the public scarred to some extent, uh, scared of and public policy people and elected leaders scared about the prospect of any kind of big project that would uh, that would, uh, you know, backfire in terms of. Um, the cost, right, and then cost overruns, and yep. that becomes yeah. an albatross around your neck if you're the one, right? Who's pushing it, having right? to say, "Oh, it's actually not that; it's more," you know? Yeah, they did cover um, Jane Swift and like you know the damage it did to her because the stances she took on took on things, things she was willing to get behind that she thought was for the public good, but it yes. ended up ultimately like kind of being the nail in her coffin. Yes. And then just even the the power struggle, and this kind of goes back to whoever the mayor is in the BPDA, was there was, it went to, I don't know if it was mediation or an actual court case, I don't remember, but there was, it went before a, a judge or a mediator to decide whether, because Jane Swift had fired Levy in my house, um, and they were like, you can't, it's an independent uh, right. authority. And she argued that, could and it went before a judge and it said like it had they had to basically be negligent in some way you know or i forget there was a particular phrase that was used sure basically had to say they were harmful and kind of dangerous or whatever and she was making that case but the judge was like no there's no there's nothing here that says they're doing that they're just not doing what you like right (laughs) um and then ultimately, she was able to just, okay, well, I can't fire them, even though I did. You know, and the, the judge said, you can't. Yes. So they stayed on. And what she did was she just added more board members. So she then had That's the ability right. to yes. outvote them. And right. they were essentially neutered after that. But it was, it's, it, it's, it's funny that this is all coming around very nicely. Yes. But it's that who ultimately has the power over that agency and are they truly independent and they're quasi public but it, it, you know so right and who's running the show and you know whether the you know maybe they technically have independence but you you have a you know a, a, i don't know somebody who's been governor for a while and 
may have developed some authority over the situation that maybe somebody new doesn't enjoy, right? Yeah. Or you know, I mean, I think I believe that. I don't know how it runs in other towns, but in in Boston, you have the appeals board. Yes, and I th- believe all the seats are they all appointed by the yes. mayor, right? Yes. So you can say like, okay, well, no, it's just a cross section of people from the city. There's a representative from union. There's a representative right. from you know right. neighborhoods from this person, that person. It's a representative representation of the city, and they're going to decide whether this project goes through. And that's true to some extent, but if I'm appointed by somebody, like I, I have a master, right? To, right. to some degree, like well, this person put me here, and if that's what they want, like. Yes. And the director, you know, the mm. BPDA, because they, um, that's, I mean, they really kind of shape the agenda, right? The board in the end is, uh, you know, is uh, not going to be familiar with or running the day-to-day aspects of the agency. Um, but that's, you know, having, being appointed by the mayor, I mean, you're, you're not, you can only uh, buck the mayor so long if, I mean, it really wouldn't be a good career move, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yep. you probably would not want to do that and don't want to do that, even if even if you disagree over policy. And, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It was a fascinating ed, uh, period, and it really had a lot of uh, – it's still with us, right? I mean, in mm. terms of how projects are debated and how much risk – political leaders want to take with project for the green line extension might be an example where, you know, the the Baker administration was ready to cancel that project because um, the the, uh, early estimates had it going up to $3 billion or more. And really, I think they ended Mm. up scuttling the first uh, round and going out to bid again. Now we have, it's hard to know, and I can't, you can't connect one with the other. But of course, now the issue with the green line extension is that the tracks weren't were issues with the tracks with and when they were installed and, and uh, who knows if that has anything it's hard to say whether that and, you know had anything to do with um, the earlier kind of shake up and the stress on the budget but I think no one wants to be stuck with a situation where the costs are just going up and the public is angry and and uh and uh, it makes it so it's, that's the dynamic everybody works with them now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. It's interesting. You brought up Les Marino about a month ago. We had Bob Shepard on the podcast. Oh, who, yes. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was yes. the real estate guy for modern. Yes. No, uh, I remember talking with him on stories. And- oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And it was so fun to hear like how what he knew of Les Marino versus what you would read in the paper or the perception sure. you had of him um just reading headlines you know and it was very like he just he told so many great stories from yes that time and what was going on and what Les was like and you know how much of an actually caring guy he was and the amount yes. of people he helped and but yet the interesting things he did with uh, Marino's restaurant and That's right, Farms he had his own restaurant and, is in Cambridge, right? Or yeah, or? yep. Um, and it, it's funny to talk about being like a pioneer. He um, opened a, um, I don't want to say a health clinic, but like a, a alternative medicine practice yes, for I think his he employees was, to yeah. go to. And like, That's really cool. Yeah. You know, in like all this talk now about wellness, uh, you know, in health and wellness of employees. He was, and, um, and I think he was known for like getting up at like 
I don't know, some ungodly hour. I mean, people in construction too, right? Yeah. It's a, but he would be working out like, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock. That's the stories that yeah. I remember yep. hearing. Yeah. That he was, you know, really into health and fitness and wanting to encourage that. And- yeah. And wanted to encourage it in his employees. And, uh, and what I didn't know was like, you just heard like, oh, this is this crazy guy. He bought a farm and he bought a like, but he bought the farm. <laughs> literally like that's what bob says he's like he literally bought the farm yeah, right and he, he goes he bought the farm to allow people that didn't understand where food came from and what was good healthy food to see that so he bought it as a way to help educate people sure right and that was his whole mission there but like it got spun as like oh it's just crazy rich guy just buying all this stuff and he yeah. was corrupt from the dig and all that. and it just wasn't really the story that bob painted you know and he said no like people really misunderstood who Les was and why he was doing what he was doing and that and i think that's sometimes what happens like with journalism right where or or public debates because the the dig became so toxic right the debate over it that anybody associated with it it just fell into this like you know morass right you know just automatically people are so angry about what was happening that that uh, anybody involved with it, it would be hard to see the fuller picture, and yeah. you know, and 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 how they, um, the, you know, that because he was a really interesting guy, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, in that company really grew um, under oh his God, watch. Yeah. And, but then that's it's, you know, and that and that can be tough in construction, right? Rapid growth, and then you know, on a, on a project like that, it, it's. Uh, has you know benefits has risks too so. yeah it's almost unhealthy to grow that fast yes. from a business standpoint right like because and then you're you're so dependent on that and then, then you have to feed the beast because you have all these employees and yes. it's just probably a tremendous amount it's of stress hard, on them yeah. and it sounded like he was pretty caring about his employees yes. like bob talked about there was one woman that worked for him that was having some problems at home and uh less ended up just paying off her mortgage yeah you know uh, another person like didn't have a car to get to work and he bought the employee a car like like so i would imagine as you get to the point where, okay now i have to start laying off if, if you're the type of person that wants to help people like that and now sure. you're gonna lay them off i imagine that that probably is a pretty hard heavy, thing to do every yeah. burden to uh take on so yeah, that's a good listen. So if people are listening and you haven't um, listened to Bob yet, there was he was on there twice, once with Mike and then once with myself, doing a little follow-up with him. But listen to the one that he did with Mike, and I think it'll reference the modern years. Bob Shepard, Les Marino, I think is yes. what the title is. That's um, great. W- worth, worth a listen. So we started talking about the tea a little bit, but uh, that's one of the things that you do a fair amount of reporting yes. on. And I think it's somebody else within your group that s- seems to do it more. For a long-time colleague of mine from the Herald mm. and other papers before that yep. mark pickering so he does a lot he's done stuff on watertown mm. um in the watertown situation just and also he does stuff on media and what's happening with the, some of the chains and other yeah yep. messing things up but yeah i do a lot of it or trying to do more of it because uh, i think it's important and it's tied with housing and just he- everything working or not working in the Boston area. Yeah, there's a nice little overlap. So you do a fair amount on the T. Um, you obviously talked a little bit about the tracks issue, but that's really was kind of everywhere. That's not yeah. the type of reporting that you typically do. Right. Um, but 
are you seeing any success out there with, you know, the, there was a lot of like the um, transit-oriented housing initiatives sure. that were happening is, uh, or that were being put in place. Is, is there any traction happening there? And how does that tie with the governor's new housing plan? It seems like there's some overlap there. What's... Tell, I guess just generally, what's the 50,000-foot view sure. of transit-oriented housing, the effect the T's having on things, the uh, governor's housing proposals, where that kind of all sure. comes together? Yeah, I mean, a, a, a big part of the governor's plan, uh, it would seem, to boost housing production. I mean, she's... I mean, I think the, governor, the you know governors have talked about this for a while, but now it's very... Uh, Healy is and Baker before her. There has been a shift towards realizing, yeah, we just need more housing of all types, and we need to encourage that. And so, under Baker, the legislature passed the MBTA Communities Act, which requires towns that are in the kind of service area have stations, or even next to towns that have station stations, to rezone near these, uh, you know, stations or rezone areas that would just allow for multifamily, you know, condos, apartments, more dense type of housing, typically like in your downtowns, things like that. Mm. Uh, because a lot of communities historically have, you know, rezoned and uh, decades ago just to have single family zoning. So if you wanted to build an apartment building, you have to go through a huge process to try to rezone, mm -hmm. change the zoning. And of course that's difficult if you have a town that says, look, we're just happy the way we are. And yep. Yep. Want to keep our character and we don't want your apartment building. And so, so that's mm. been a big, so. And that's that, a very, not to, not to cut you off. That's like, I can argue both sides. Yes. You know, oh, it's yeah. one of, one of yeah. those debates where, yeah, I get wound up on it. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if I get too wound up, the idea, because I just think there's such a housing shortage. But there is something to be said. If you have a town that you like, you maybe you don't, you're worried that it will change it somehow. Yeah, there's even like, uh, I think in, it was in Seattle, there was like a really like well-known neighborhood and all the houses were known to be like, set back it wasn't wooded they were close together yeah but they all had really big front yards and they had like a craftsman style oh super unique 20s, yeah. kind of looking neighborhood yeah, really known for that yeah. but they were so hung up on creating more housing that they were going to change the zoning in that neighborhood yeah. and the people were like what are you doing like people travel here just to look at this and yes. we're gonna like so it's it's so complicated but then you say like, okay, well, if the plan is to create more housing, like everybody else has to okay eight unit apartment buildings in their single family neighborhoods, but they don't because theirs are prettier. Like, it's it's mm, there's no you say it, that, yeah yeah there's no easy <clears throat> no solution. And sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox a little yes. bit here, but like, as much as I like the, I think that. I've, I, having worked for the city, I witnessed yes. so many people that would even use the phrase like my neighborhood, right? And it's like, because they think that they control the neighborhood. Right. Well, that's not going to be built in my neighborhood. We're not going to allow that. And, and you're like, wait a minute, who made you the mayor of right. the, the neighborhood, right? And there's a lot of that. So I kind of reflexively think like 
people should be able to yes. do more with their properties. And if I, why not an ADU? Like what? Like Definitely, why not? Yeah. Why not a corner store on the end of my street where we can walk down and have a convenience store or a barbershop or whatever? Like. I think people might like that, you know, and um, that's what we've historically done. And if you look at strong towns, for instance, yes. like their whole thing is about incremental development. Like we don't have to go from, no, you know, one, two, three units to 500 units, but we can go to eight and maybe add in a commercial space, maybe add in a restaurant in a more residential area and, you go to East Boston, one of the best Italian restaurants is in a very residential neighborhood and it's on the first floor of a three family. People in that neighborhood love it. Everybody else loves yes. it. Like, why is that so taboo? You know, so like, uh, th- that's one side, right? right? And, right. and I feel strongly about that. Yes. But then there's the people that are like, well, this should be at the state level to take it away from the towns. And anytime yes. I'm like, well, anytime we're going to remove it and say, okay, the state's going to decide... I think that's dangerous too. Yeah. Because people jump in and just take advantage of that. In the heavy hand of the state deciding what's going to happen in every town, they don't have the nuances of the town. And there just becomes this sure. blanket thing. And there's all kinds of ills that come with that. I don't think they actually solve the problem, right? They might create yes. more problems. And so I, I tie myself at knots on that. I don't, I don't know yes. what the answer is. Maybe the MBTA communities are seen kind of as a in between way of doing it like california has balked it's you know because of policies over the years i mean it, mm. the housing costs have just spiraled so far out of control that the mm. state basically has intervened and done some kind of really aggressive rezoning and i think mha communities was pitched and i i've done some stories on this the, the initially you know started under the baker and they pitched it like this is something that will work for massachusetts where it's we're not rezoning everything, but we're creating, you know, requiring you to create some districts where you could do multifamily housing. Mm. Um, but then to and this has a potential to, you know, there's they use they've argued up to two, you know, Healy, I don't know if Healy used the same numbers, but up to 200,000 units so that you could get kind of maybe the best of both worlds, hopefully. I mean, we all know like you know, old New England town centers, I mean. A lot of them have a lot of older buildings that just, mm. you know, were two factories or whatever. It still seems like there's potential there. Uh, you could have the best of both worlds. But um, but I think there's still a lot of resistance in the mm. local level or skepticism. or uh, And, uh, you know, so it's that balance, right? I mean, mm. and we have – because of the nature of you know England and you know a lot of these towns are founded you know 300 years ago, they basically their their town lines are based on you know being you know able to go to the meeting house or whatever being able to walk there right yeah. so now we which is you know and then you have these great kind of individual you know communities and character you know they have their own character and that's wonderful on the other hand it makes it really hard because. Then it make, puts it down on the micro level of you know how much how you know whether you're going to have any new housing and I mean I guess the, most people just don't it, you know unless it's like they need unless it's like they have like really derelict property around they might say like mm. um, this is okay I don't want any change right and, yeah yeah and who's to say that the state should be the one to decide for those people in the town you yeah know? and and here's the thing I don't have much critique 
and I haven't studied it very closely. Yes. So from what I know about it, I don't have a tremendous, I think the, it doesn't sound like it's a bad idea, the transit-oriented housing. I do, I do think it makes sense because most times the stations are going to be in a pretty like town center sure. or a more dense area anyway. So I don't think it's, you know, it's not like there's a T-stop on a uh, dead-end street that's, no. you know, single families. Like that doesn't happen. So it seems like that's a pretty good place to put it. It makes sense to have more access to public transportation, get more people into work. And like, it, it does seem like a... A, a positive. So uh, my pushback really isn't against the transit-oriented stuff. It's uh, I kind of usually default to like if we can make the decision at the close, the lowest level to the people that it's affected. I think that's sure a good thing. There's absolutely downfalls to it, right? Yes, and that's where I I definitely tie myself in in knots yeah. over that. Yeah, it's it's a difficult question, right? I mean, hmm. about local control, state control, who should be making the decisions. I do think there's like there's some real headwinds against new housing, kind of built in, kind of kind of NIMBY sentiment sometimes that 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 really needs to some pushback because Mm. we are getting into a situation where I mean, are we headed to be the next California where things just prices get Uh, so out of control? I I can answer that that for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, then you're stuck. Like, then you need like drastic like state solutions just to stop mm. zoning solutions, right? You know, mm. to to loosen up the market. Mm. Um, I hope not. So maybe the MBCA communities is a way to kind of meet that need while kind of stopping short of like, you know, getting rid of like you know single family zoning or whatever that would even mean. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, but then, you know, that's really up to the governor and local officials to really kind of embrace that, you know? Yeah, I think um, Oregon did in, in, had an interesting approach to this, and they, they passed it. I haven't followed up on it to see, because all these things can sound great theoretically. Yeah. And then what's the reality when they actually go into effect? But their whole thing was, if like, if you were within, you know, whatever radius of Portland or whatever major city, right? If, if it's a major city, if it was over a certain amount of people, you're within that radius, like you had to, there was no more single family zoning allowed. It had to be a minimum of however many units. Sure. Right? And it was higher in urban areas. But then as you moved out from the urban areas, it got less and less because what they were like, listen, we have a lot of beautiful in farm areas where you're having like we don't want to lose the agricultural piece so we don't want to say across the board in the state that there's no more single family and you can put you know 40 unit apartments where we have farms because that's just not what we're looking for but we do want to increase the density around the more urban areas so their approach was like we'll do a tiered kind of thing and i'm like that's a seems like a pretty decent idea i'll be curious to see how it works out but. yeah i mean i think over like the 70s 80s 90s there there was a lot of like large lot or there's some degree of large lot single family housing construction and i think you know that's really can't be the solution anymore yeah, there's suburban not sprawl, only so many right? 
not many farms left, right? I mean, yep. it can't. And in some ways, maybe it wasted a lot of land that they, you know, because some of those neighborhoods that were built, I mean, they are filling a need. On the other hand, they were a lot less dense than the ones that were built after post-World War II. Or yeah, like you, where we're living. Right, yeah. you know, and, <clears throat> you know, maybe some, a lot of people probably, you know, some people love their two-acre lots, but a lot of people probably just like, I got to, it's a pain, you know, but that's yeah. the only stuff that was getting built. So that can't be a solution, but there's got to be ways. That, I've seen this in some suburban town centers of, building more kind of close-in housing and, and densely yeah, built housing. Yeah. There should just be options for people, right? And there just aren't that many options. Either you have a house on a big lot or and, you... Yeah, on a cul-de-sac. and yeah. Or you have a condo somewhere, right? I mean, yeah. it's really kind of a big void in the market. And, no, I absolutely agree. And the towns, yeah. unfortunately, they've encouraged it because they said, well, that they pay their own way and... Mm. Well, you know, they're um, though they're they're creating a profit for the town in some sense, and mm. and uh, but it's gone to such a such ex- that direction so far that you know um, you know school. I mean uh, that it's uh, you know it's created a, a problem. Mm. So uh, I want to touch on a couple of things. Sure. So um, you, when you reported on the mayor the the governor's housing bill, I think is what, what the right term was yes. there. Um, I, I thought there was some interesting reporting that you did prior to that around how much actually just maintenance was needed of existing sure. public housing. I think it was to the tune of $3 billion or something like that and yes. needed renovations. Um, and you spoke about you know the bond that they were going right. to potentially or try and issue so that was something interesting that I people that I think people should look into it was really eye opening to see how much construction needs to be done on the existing stuff alone yes. never mind to build a new product we're talking about billions of dollars um in renovations that are that are not like oh these would be nice to have these are needs like dilapidated things yes. that need to be addressed. So that's something that folks might want to take a look at. And I just don't want to go too long here. So, yes. um, and then some other things that I had kind of put on the docket for us to sure. talk about today, yep. but at least I want to yeah, m- yeah. mention them. Wrote something, you know, based off of the Warren group coming and saying single family home sales was down 26% um, year over year in September. Um the volume of homes was way down the fewest since 2010 when we were just coming out of the yes. 2008 financial crisis. Those were some really interesting data points you had. But uh, in that mix, though, you said the um, the downside there is you weren't seeing the prices come down. It was just, you know, really velocity sure. has come to a screeching halt. Prices haven't fallen yet i think they're starting to fall as someone who's trying to sell a home now things have it's harder yeah certainly changed okay um so that one was interesting so i want to at least throw it out there um you wrote a piece and this is one that i like because it scratches that contrarian itch which is i which runs deep in me yes um and, and it's funny, I did a solo episode on EVs, electric vehicles, yeah. and touched on Passive House a little bit, and really just asked people to take a critical look at it. And it wasn't about saying that EVs are bad or good, or Passive yeah. House is bad or good, but let's just look at 
the whole picture and and then you can make your decision um, right some people don't like that um and it kind of goes back to some people want no hey here's the message that we're supposed to give yes fall in line yep and uh you had touched a little bit on offshore wind developers on the east coast that prices are going up for them yes um inflation cost of construction interest rates and that was throwing a major wet blanket on the amount of uh wind projects coming online and that's really going to tank everybody's projections and hopes and goals about what wind was going to do to create power um i thought that was interesting and they had asked state regulators to basically allow them to charge more to the utility companies the regulator said no yes um and then what really stuck out to me though because i it's funny i when this is it's it's wrong of me for not like kind of really thinking about it but just even this phrase you're like it follows similar moves in massachusetts where offshore wind developers citing big cost increases have pulled out of four different contracts so there's four here in massachusetts that are now gone but just the phrase offshore wind developers they're just a developer what and it's yeah. no like somebody's developing housing or lab yes. space this is just a developer that's developing windmills instead right, right, right. and they're just doing math and yeah. interest rates like yeah. I, I think of real estate developers in okay, oh, the interest rates are going to cause them not to be able to build right. this project. It's no different for someone building a windmill, right? Sure. Construction costs went up, interest rates went up. We can't afford to make this wind project go. Yeah, and we need to get paid by selling the power. And if we can't sell it at a high enough price, then we can't. It doesn't make sense for us anymore. And that's yeah. what they're saying. Um, because, and, but of course it runs into a political problem for local, you know, state leaders because the utility industry is very highly regulated. No one wants to see power rates go through the roof. So we're kind of in a quandary, right? I mean, it, it, they need the power. Probably the only way to get it is to pay more. That's going to upset people. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's happened up and down the East coast where they've started to pull out of these projects uh you know it's a real um it's a mess yeah mm. i mean it's going to cost probably in the end it's just, just going to cost more to do and somebody's going to have to pick up the, the, tab. the bill for that it's going to be the ratepayers they're not going to be happy is it going to be the government subsidizing it you know and one of my favorite drums of banging like the bang is well you know that in the same time we've kind of wound down the nuclear power industry mm-hmm. which was producing reliable power so we've gotten ourselves into a box. Uh, you know. Yep. Yeah. No, it's great. Like there's just this kind of unfettered wind and solar, wind and solar. They're the answer. Uh, but you know, is it again? Is it is it really the answer? I, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, I mean, they've this far. The they need to build these things, right? But there's a reflex of kind of anti-nuclear kind of sentiment hmm. that no political leader locally would ever like propose like why wouldn't like why are we shutting i mean plymouth is so far gone at this point but i mean once they shut down plymouth and i think there was a one in vermont uh emissions have gone up significantly so hmm. no one wants to look at that but that isn't that the whole point is i didn't to know that wow. prevent emissions so yeah. it, it but it's not seen as like i don't know politically palatable or 
uh, it's not the approved type of energy. And it's, it's a problem when people start thinking in these silos. Like we can only do this this way and this is the only way because that's the correct way as opposed to, okay, well, you know, if we had developed the nu- <clears throat> allowed the nuclear power industry to, to grow and develop, we would probably be a lot farther along on the, on the way to having, you know, uh, um, emissions-free power than yeah. we are now. Um, a lot of the concerns about nuclear were not borne out. I mean, mm. um, and uh, and it's 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 not it's yeah. So it's, it's the kind of the contrarian viewpoint. Like it, yeah. logically, you're looking at it and you're thinking, what? Why is that? Why is this the only? You know, this is like the we put all our eggs in one basket and it's. Uh, becoming awfully difficult right now. The wind and solar basket, right? Yeah, yeah. And and just um, the eggs in the basket is is the right common phrase. But it's like I often think it was like it's like we got on a train and this train heads that way, but no one's willing to look at like, well, is this train going to drive us off a cliff? But like, no, nope, we got on the train. This is the train we're on. This is where we're going. This is a good thing. And you know, you just need people to take a critical look at things. And uh, th- that's why I liked that piece, because I just said, wow, like, that just opened my eyes, because it's just like you get caught up in the current where you just hear all this information, you're flowing right. along, and no one's stopping saying, hey, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, who's paying for this? Right. And if this isn't working, like, what's going to happen and you know you use the kind of analogy of it's like there's almost like this religiousness to wind and solar that that's the answer and you're not allowed to question doctrine right and it's it's yes it's 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 really it's it's just kind of like this fervor around it and and the environmental movement has done a lot of good things but but i think even people in the environmental movement have some people have said look we made a mistake with nuclear power or at least, uh, I mean, because they effectively demonized it, right? Yeah. And when we talk about, and they're in, you know, really in an unscientific way. I mean, I was talking to an MIT professor who was, you know, studies nuclear power involved with it. And he mm. was like, you know, bemoaning what's happened with the shutdown of Plymouth and and other plants. And just feeling like, you know, that, that there's all based on, it's it just it's taken away a source of power that would have been really helpful. And, uh, and it's not, and I know that the Biden administration has tried to resurrect it to some extent mm. or taken a more positive approach. And, um, but, uh, it, but the damage has been done. I mean, there's in new England, it's just so radioactive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. A, a, a discussion, right. Yeah. And, and, um, right now it would seem like, climate change is real you know is really is a is a a big threat and um and this is something that would have really helped deal with that and yeah for sure you know yeah so scott this is excellent uh my hope is in the future that it's probably um shorter episodes on maybe a particular topic that comes out. You usually, when you post this four or five articles in there and uh, usually three out of the five, um, um, I'm, you know, quite interested in enough, you know, 
the yeah. enough topics for people. Yeah, and see, even like I find some like there's a lot of I forget you said the gentleman's name that um, writes on the newspaper industry, and it's just kind of interesting to see, frankly, a dying industry or maybe changing industry that's sure. going more to the Substack model, or whatever. But like, what happens to this needed thing called journalism? Yes. Um, so, I, although I that's that. yeah. yeah, it's not my normal point of interest but like i read it and i'm like this is interesting so there's a lot of stuff i know as someone in you know the real estate and construction industry that i know the people that listen to this would really find a lot of your work interesting so the hope is moving forward we can drop in periodically it's probably going to be that me saying hey i'm really interested in this thing you just posted and sure we hop on talk five ten minutes about it and that's kind of the model moving forward. But I thought it'd be nice to do one sit down and let people really kind of hear how you think about things, have us discuss some of the stuff you've yeah. written in the past, just to let folks get a flavor for, um, you know, And if they're interested in do. looking at Country in Boston, it's pretty mm-hmm. simple. You do put in a Google search Country in Boston and it'll, it should pop right up. Yeah, I mean, I would say everybody, I, subscri- I subscribe, I'm a paid subscriber, but... For everybody, it's a it's a free subscription. If you you know you yeah, don't you don't get access free, to everything, start off the free and usually run uh, the leading article for free, maybe a couple others, and then the others are behind the paywall. Yep. And the archives are behind the paywall, so there's lots of stuff on all these issues going back. If you're interested in looking at what's happening with housing or development or construction and yeah absolutely and i mean that was the path i took i was like oh i remember scott i'm gonna like yeah i'm gonna subscribe and then once i get subscribed i'm just like no like i i want all this <laughs> right so sure. I, I became a paid subscriber but it's funny you wouldn't think of it because it's news per se right you wouldn't think of wanting to look at the archives but i surprisingly went back quite a bit to look at the archives because i think it's so relevant to what my to my life and to my work that I'm like, oh, I really need to hear about the numbers on BPDA approvals and permits. Like that matters. Yes, it was from September, but I, I still need to know that. So, sure. Um, yeah. No, I uh, I've, I kind of fig- I started to figure that out. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of content here, and it's in. Even if maybe something in the current issue, you know, might be stuff they're interested in or might be you looking at it, looking down and farther down and seeing, oh, yeah, but there's this other story. I mean, things are um, a lot of these a lot of these uh, news events and issues. I mean, they have long uh, trails, right? They're sure, you know, they're and they're still very relevant. uh, You know, six months, you know, what happened six months ago was. Housing bill is a great example, right? This is going to move through. It's going to have to get voted on, presumably, by the The legislature, legislature, right? So as this kind of evolves and it might be coming up and you might want to say, well, what's in this thing? So you go back to the original thing and you report on, okay, they're hoping to, you know, take out so many billions of dollars in bonds. They want to allow this type of zoning. They want like, like, that's a classic example. So we're yeah. going to be hearing about the mayor, the I keep saying mayor is the governor yeah. housing bill yeah. for the next we probably will. year. Um, why not go back and take a look? So, well, I appreciate having you on. This has yeah. been great and enjoyed our discussions. Yeah. Lots yeah. Of fun. Uh, awesome conversation. Thanks for taking the trip over and uh, uh, we'll be talking soon. Yeah, definitely. So, thanks Scott. Thank you.